Welcome to Real Talk, Real Women. I am Gemma Serenity Gorokov, your host, and today coming from New York, here is Lynn Catalano. She is an author, speaker, coach, attorney, and survivor of narcissistic abuse, who helps people reframe their thinking in every aspect of their lives, from the workplace to their personal life, becoming an agent of change. One of the greatest skills a person can develop is the ability to navigate difficult people. Lean helps people learn to identify toxic relationships and gives them the tools to overcome these relationships. Your emotional intelligence is the key to building better, healthier relationships. Lean will explore how to make emotional intelligence part of your everyday practice and learn how to, it benefits all of our relationships teamwork and collaboration. Lean also teaches groups how to read the room, how to build rapport and acclimate quickly in any situation. Lean is the author of the book, Wrecking Ball Relationships, How to Identify, Live With or Leave the Narcissist in Your Life, available now on Amazon. Lean lives in Western New York along the Canadian border with her husband, two daughters, three dogs, two cats, and a 16-year-old turtle. Lynn loves to travel, hunt for antiques, watch movies, and play word games. Welcome, Lynn. Imagine Thank you. the big crowd like cheering you up. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, Lynn, let's get started with a few... Let's take five minutes to identify a few major events that shaped who you are today in your life. I'm not asking the entire biography because it's going to be another book, but a five minutes, a five minutes overview of the main events. Can you do that? Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. So, you know, for me, I think that my journey as began just being a woman in, in reality and professional life and understanding that as women, we were told that we could have it all and we can, just not at the same time. And so we need to make choices. And, and I, my path is all about choices. I uh, went to law school to be a sports agent and realized I wanted a family and that I didn't want to wait for that family. And so um, my, my path was definitely shaped by that. I have no regrets for sure. And um, later on, I was very, very affected by my mother's sudden death at 66 years old. That was about 12 years ago. And I was an adult. I had a young family, but it came out of nowhere. It was not, um, she was not ill. She had not been sick for any length of time. And uh, she passed away in about uh, 36 hours. And That's short. It was very short. It was very short. And the resulting things that happened afterwards led me to where I am now. Okay. So I discovered after she passed that I had seen my father through her eyes my whole life. I saw him as what she wanted him to be and what she wanted me to see. I'm an only child. 
And after she was gone, there was no one there to serve as smoke and mirrors. There was no one there to um, pump him up and um, keep him on an even, even level. So what happened was shocking and, and uh, I, was, I was lost and confused for a long time because I had no idea what was happening. And um, you know, my, my legal background and my education led me to research. And so I started doing what I now tell people is a red flag of a toxic relationship. God, I started Googling my father's symptoms. I started looking into them like, how, what's, what does this mean when someone does this? You know, what does, and I would type in all these different things, not realizing that when you added it all up, he had narcissistic personality disorder. Okay. Okay. So, you know, it was, it, it, it means a lot. Yes. But the, it whole means time, a lot. <laughs> the whole time I was writing and I was writing um, what was happening to me. I was writing my story, but that's not what the book turned into. The book turned into a guidebook for people who are in that position that I was, that lost and confused place where you know something's wrong, but you're not quite sure what it is. And you know things are not right, but it would be really great to have not a scientific textbook, but a real person tell you their experience and many other people's experience. So I interviewed many, many people for this book so that I could talk about people who suffer from narcissistic personality disorder in all different arenas, whether they were your sibling, your parent, a romantic relationship, or your boss. Mm. So, so basically, even if it was a, I mean, such a shock, such a pain, you really probably felt like miserable for a long time. You turned that into your biggest asset so yeah. that you can help others go through it so that you can make sense of what actually happened yes and you yes. overpowered your own chatterbox that couldn't understand and just like what's going on and is it me or whatever yes right yes absolutely wow absolutely because it, it was it was eye-opening for me but when I started interviewing people, it was my big aha moment. All of a sudden, I realized that there were lots of people suffering from this type of emotional a abuse. Lot, a lot. And that I was not unique, no. but that we needed one another because part of, part of this emotional abuse is that you feel isolated. Totally. And, embarrassed and filled mm -hmm. with shame like mm -hmm. this is someone you loved and expected that to mm -hmm. them to love you mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and instead you're suffering from this and it's it's you know it's different than physical abuse there are no bruises but you are suffering from the same pain i actually reference a study in my book where 
scientists determined that the part of your brain that is affected by physical abuse is the same part of your brain that is affected by emotional abuse. But there is more to that. When the physical is hit, badly hit, it heals eventually. Occasionally it leaves scars, occasionally it just like stays broken. But 90% of the case we heal and we are back to optimal level. The emotional wounds and the emotional healing, as long as you do not address them, as long as you do not attend to your emotions and really manage them and, and acknowledge them and recognize them and clear them out, they continue to fester inside. Yeah. They do not heal with time. Emotional bruises do not heal with time. They heal I, with inner work, like actual inner work. I agree. I agree completely. It's amazing. Yeah, I agree. It's, um, you know, I often associate emotional abuse with the uh, proverbial frog being boiled alive. Mm -hmm. you know, when the frog is put in the pot, the water is tepid. The frog mm -hmm. doesn't know to be afraid or to fear anything. And as the water increases, it's just an incremental increase. And the frog doesn't realize he's being boiled alive until he is. And that's how emotional abuse feels. It, I, I totally agree. I, I wouldn't have thought about that example, but yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yes. yes. It, it goes it, it goes one inch at a time yeah and then when you are in it it's like but i cannot get my hands off or yeah. i lose my hand it's like Ugh, what do i do well and and you know these types of people are very good at reminding you that no one will love you but them and that no one will believe you because they're such an important fabulous person and that um, you really don't have any worth or any value. So when you hear that type of thing on a daily basis, at some point, you begin to believe it. I know. And that is a very, yeah, very scary, scary thing. It is. And you know, I was, I was also thinking a lot about this, uh, this experience, because I'm so from a... a I mean, five years followed by 10 years of abusive marriages. Um, and the first one is exactly to the letter what you express, to the letter. And I remember that, I mean, we were not married yet and he asked me to choose between my father and him. Oh, yeah. And I had to choose my future husband because with my husband, I'm, I'm meant to spend my entire life and my parents, I meant to leave them and to continue my life. So I, I meant to, as, as a good wife, I meant to choose my husband over my parents. Uh, crushed. Yeah. Crushed. I couldn't, I couldn't deal with that. Yeah. And I, and I thought I did good. And I, and I, I just tried my best. And one day, one day, I had a light bulb. Someone told me, no, no, you do not have the right to be happy. So you have the duty to be happy. Oh. oh. Hmm. 
huh, if I have the duty to be happy, it's never going to be with him. Bye, I'm gone. <laughs> that was the first one. Second one was more difficult. So tell me what has been your shift moment when you realized, I mean, there is a moment in your research when you become like, oh my God, is that, 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 oh no, oh no, don't tell me that. Oh no, don't tell me that my father is, oh God. For me, it was even more than that. Yeah. For me, I was in the midst of writing the book chapter by chapter. And I realized that I was in a toxic work environment and that the characteristics of a narcissist, what I have been very clear on and what I have researched at length and written about were shared by toxic people at work. And that they were incredibly similar, if not exactly the same. And then I realized, why am I doing this? Why am I fighting the fight uphill, walking backwards, blindfolded, getting beaten down at every moment, miserable in my job? The universe is trying to tell me something. I am onto something here. I can actually help people learn to identify these toxic relationships at work and at home because I've experienced both and learn from my mistakes and move on and be happy. That's it. Have that duty to be happy. Right. And that's when I did it. I leapt. I took the biggest leap of my life. And here I am. Wow. So did you leave your work environment when you realized that? Yes. And yeah. this is when you published and you started on your own. Yes. Okay. Now let's go to work because now the real work began. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and been the best experience. Yes. I mean, unbelievable. The people I've met, the people I've spoken to, the organizations, unbelievable. And it seems like when I talk about the characteristics of someone uh, who has narcissistic personality disorder or who is a toxic person at work, people on the other end are always having their own aha moments. Like they know someone like that. Oh, they always wondered about that person, but they weren't sure. But gosh, they're fitting every single characteristic. And then oh, they, totally. they too want to know, how do, you, how do you figure this out? How do you peacefully coexist? How do you move on, you know? That, so, is, that is a legitimate question. That is basically the question we all ask. Okay, first of all, are you going to put up with it or are you going to leave? What's your choice? What choice do you have available? If you take my husband as an example, Sasha, his mother was super abusive with him. Narcissistic, borderline, hypochondriac, and probably more. I don't know exactly what else. And it's all, I mean, these diagnostics are not like a medical official diagnosis. It's like, okay, you read all the books and you check mark all the cases. So you do check mark everything and say, okay, so it's a conform copy of what is written there so she must be that right this is how we come to that diagnostic it's not a, a medically approved because when you have that kind of problem 
you do not get diagnosed because you are the best in the world. So you don't get help, you don't get a, 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 a psychiatry to get you, except when you have to, because there is no other choice. <laughs> That's absolutely. And, and she made a deadlock on him to make sure he would never leave her. She's told him, if you leave, if you go live elsewhere than with me, as an adult, I cancel your health insurance. But knowing that Sasha was born highly disabled and that in Switzerland and in Europe, uh, health insurance, there is, if you have pre-existing condition, you're screwed. You're screwed. They are going to insure you for everything but all that may happen to you. Meaning everything that will not happen to you, that, that, that will be covered. Everything that may happen to you, nothing will be covered. So basically you're going to pay an insurance for nothing. <laughs> and, uh, but as she did take this insurance before he was even born, they did not have the choice and they had to cover all his expenses for all his health challenges. So oh. that was, that was the lock. So if you leave, I cancel your health insurance, which impl implies looming death because I, I, I don't know, because I, I, I will not have the care that I need. And then she added another layer and I kill myself because of oh. you. It's like, God, how did you do that? So this is why he stayed until her dying day. And she died by suicide. Oh my God. She did that. She did that. And when she did that, it was like, ah, she threatened that for 20 plus years. Oh my God. She now did it. Nobody believed her anymore. And it's like, okay. But she did not cancel the insurance before. Okay. So one of the outcomes did happen, the other one not though she changed a little bit to make it more expensive, but Oof. still present, it's like, oh God. So yeah, when I tell you that I understand what you share, it's true. I totally do understand what you talk about, all the ropes and everything. So now let's continue to, to educate and teach and share with our audience. What are the red flags? How do you recognize toxic people when you have not research this topic at all. Yes. I want to give you three caveats about toxic people first. Okay. And number one is a very famous quote from Maya Angelou. And it goes, I'm paraphrasing. When people show you who they are, believe them. Yes. That's number one. Yes. Number two is you teach people how to treat you by what you allow and what you stop. What you allow will continue. So yes. you need to remember that. And three, if possible, if you can go and leave this toxic relationship, if you can, you know, find another job, um, dissolve the relationship and in, in however you can go no contact with this person to protect your physical and mental health. I highly recommend it. That is, that is the best advice I can possibly provide. Mm -hmm. However, we can't always leave a job. 
for many reasons. And you and I discussed those. It could be benefits, compensation, commute, remote, childcare, whatever it is. Sometimes you have to stay. And if you have to stay, we're going to talk about what to do. But let's talk about the 10 things, 10 red flags to look for. Oh, wow. Okay. That's let's a lot. For it. I know, I know, I know. This is amazing. I'll, I'll try and go quickly, but please feel free. Stop me if, if, if at all you, okay. you want to interject. Okay. So one, these types of people always need to be in control. They need to... Uh, have the con, as they say on Star Trek. Um, <laughs> they, they literally, um, if they're not in control, they will undermine and belittle the person in control until that person capitulates and they can control the situation. They need to control everything about it. The situation, the people, the house, the community, the workplace, on and on and on. And on. Okay, check mark. All of that okay. is known. <laughs> Number two, um, they don't take responsibility for their poor decisions. They are more likely to, you know, smile for the cameras when things go well and things go right. But when things go wrong, they throw people under the bus. Exactly. They blame someone else. Yes. Number three. This always gets me, but I know everyone's going to recognize this type of person. They micromanage everyone. I worked for a CEO. He micromanaged everyone. I don't think the man ever slept because how could you possibly, if you're doing everyone's job in the company, how could you? He would ask me to do something. I would leave his office. Before I left his office, he already emailed me to remind me to do this task. Then he would email the person that he asked me to contact. I mean, ridiculous, rinse and repeat, you know? But these types of people never fully trust anyone and therefore they don't empower anyone or delegate authority because they have no trust of anyone. Yeah, they are, they are the, the, the antinomy of a leader. Yes, except that there are so many leaders that have these qualities. I know. <laughs> very, very disturbing. Yeah. Number four, they don't communicate well or sometimes at all. You know, they don't like to have uncomfortable conversations. They're not good at confrontation. Um, they have other people do that type of thing for them. Totally. Number oh, five. God. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Number five, they assume that everyone's on call 24 seven, yeah. seven days a week, no matter what your pay level or responsibility is. I think this is just a disregard for personal time. They totally. just simply don't they, care. They take people for granted. Oh, all the time. Exactly. The time. Number six, they have no boundaries. They email and call and text at all hours, evenings, weekends, holidays, and they get angry if you don't respond to them. Again, this is very much a, a disregard for your personal time, but you know it's also really evident that their ideas, whenever they happen, that they need instant validation. And they need someone to tell them, oh, great idea. You know, for anyone else, 
an idea that might come to you on Friday night, Saturday afternoon, you might write it down for Monday morning, you might send yourself a note, but not these people, these people need validation immediately. So they're going to text an email and, and get angry when there's no response. Yeah. Or get Number very nervous and very uncomfortable and wondering. Oh, and, and, and they allow themselves to go in a, in a roller coaster of thoughts in their minds. You can observe everything through the, through the flow of text message you receive, especially when you do not answer, starting by, hey, I have a great idea. Hey, did you hear me? Hey, why do you do not answer? Hey, what's going on? Hey, do you remember how awful you were? Hey, you never answer anyway. You know what? You are fired. Uh, yeah, maybe not totally, but I mean, you saw, enfin, yeah, oh, anyway, yeah, talk to you tomorrow. Yeah, and you <laughs> see everything. For the record, I equate being in a relationship with any kind of toxic person, whether at work or personally, as a roller coaster ride, because you really, you, the ups and downs are dramatic, and the, the turns and the drops are, are terrible, mm -hmm. and... Uh, I really don't like roller coasters. So yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Totally. exactly. exactly. Um, number seven, they don't plan. They just react. This floored me in a professional situation because there was no overall strategic plan. Like there wasn't a one year, three year, five year plan. We literally were just reacting to society and economic changes and needs. And uh, it was a healthcare facility so that if by chance we were able to access a new physician and they needed something, that's what we would invest in. Whether there was no like work, there was no due diligence, you know, there was no um, research done into whether this was economically sound or, and the board were just complete rubber stamps to the CEO. So whatever he wanted, if that didn't work, he would pivot again and blame that physician and move on to the next thing. Very difficult to be part of an organization like that, where you're constantly pivoting. Mm -hmm. No clear direction at all. So mm -hmm. not very good. Um, number eight, they focus on short-term optics without actual concern for a, a, a solution. So, you know, there could be all kinds of complaints about the appearance or the customer service. And instead of addressing the actual problem with customer service and the fact that the employees don't stay long enough to actually have any training and that the, uh, the, the facility doesn't even invest in any training for any of their employees. Um, they, they just continue to um, look at what, what can we put a fresh coat of paint on something and take some pictures and can we pose some people to look like it's good? So it's all about short-term optics. Like let's buy, if morale is down, let's buy donuts for all the employees. Like, what does that do? That's not a, that's not a solution. That's not, you know, like that's not going to change anything. Taking pictures of a new uh, room with fresh coat of paint isn't going to change the fact that customer service is terrible. So you understand they're not looking at that because they don't want to, don't want to have that uncomfortable conversation. No, it's true. They avoid it. They totally um, avoid it. Yes. 
these types of people completely ignore turnovers in their organization. So this the, the last place I worked for, which I told you was really the light bulb moment, right, was when I knew uh, the universe was trying to tell me something. Um, they had almost 25% turnover in one year. That's alarming. It is. A quarter of their workforce was leaving. After and they had to hire again and again and again, constantly. But if there's no leadership and there's no education for the employees mm -hmm. and employees never feel like they're part of something mm -hmm. and there's no loyalty, Mm -hmm. then that's what you're going to get. Talk about a roller coaster. It's mm -hmm. constantly letting people off, putting people on, letting people off, putting people on. Well, how, if you're a customer in this organization, no one even knows, you know, how to tell you to, where to go in the, in the building because they're new. They're always new. Mm -hmm. Very frustrating. Wow. Very, very frustrating. Yes. And number 10, these types of people are very opinionated about your, work. However, they never give any kind of positive reinforcement or coaching. So you never know how to make the positive changes to improve or what to do next time. So you um, don't look easier. <laughs> I found I found that it was incredibly demeaning and belittling to never receive any kind of positive reinforcement. And I felt like they kept moving the goal. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It is a, it is a, a it's not a moving average, it's a moving goal. Awful. Yeah, I mean, try to, try, try, try to, to, to reach a fly. Unless the fly stops, you have no chance or very right. little. Right. Because it continues and you don't, you, you don't know where it's going to go next and, and you go somewhere else next. You know, how many times? It was really awful. How many times awesome. with my ex-husband, the second one, we would go on a walk during the evening to brainstorm ideas. ID number one pops up. ID number two pops up. ID number three pops up, ID number four pops up, and you, you, you totally lose track because you are not writing it down. So it's all in your mind, all right? And you're just like ping, uh, brainstorming and ping-ponging uh, ideas. You go to bed like, yeah, let's do that. It's an amazing idea, okay. So next morning, one of these ideas remains in my head, and I do that. One of these ideas remains in his head, and he expects me to do that. And it's not the same. How does it explode the very next day? What? You do not listen to me. You are not attentive to what I say. You form a toy. I mean, how can you? And etc. And it's like, please. Yeah. Please. Well, yeah. But they, they like to set traps. You know, people with narcissistic personality disorder, not only do they need to be in control, but they like to create chaos and confusion because it you don't know where it's coming from, right? You don't know where to look. And they like that. Again, that's part of their control. And this is when they come and they hug you and you're here. You're me now? Are you crazy? Yeah. Yes. Actually, yes. 
Yes, they are. Yes. Yeah. Yes, they are. For sure. Oh God. Oh yeah. God. So when you suggest to cope with a toxic work environment, you said if you have an option to leave, just leave. Yes, that's number one, but not, I have three others, but that is the number one, you know, caveat for sure. If you mm -hmm. can leave, leave. because it, there, nothing good is going to come of it. No. You know? And there are all these studies and um, I post a lot on social media about these things, but there are a lot of very bad effects that toxic work environments can have on your physical and mental health. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and you don't want to let it get to that. But sometimes you don't even realize the stress you're under and the fact that you don't have time for yourself, that you don't have time to exercise or take care of yourself and really, you know, have a coffee with a friend or, you know, talk to somebody. And that is really detrimental. So, yes, if you can leave, please, please do. Definitely, definitely. Yes. Go ahead. What are the three other ways to cope? Okay, so I like to call this, this is my funny theory. So I like to call it the David Bowie, uh, Rolling Stones uh, method of rising above the chaos. I can tell you're, you're questioning that. <laughs> because, because number one is ch -ch -ch change your perspective. Number two is to ch -ch -ch change your approach. And number three is you can't always get what you want, but if you try, sometimes you get what you need. So let's break that down a little bit. Okay. <laughs> so number one is change your perspective. So we know these people don't communicate well, or sometimes at all. Well, stop challenging it. Just embrace that fact. If they need to talk to you in their office and that's the only place they like to have a meeting with you, that's what you got to do. If you can do it on, on the phone, do it on the phone. If you can do it on Zoom, do it on Zoom, whatever they want. If they need you to do something a certain way, but you've never done that that way, you need to follow their directions. Because when you stay on their script, everything is peaceful. Mm -hmm. Number two, change your approach. Um, you need to be a trusted member of the organization. So you need to work towards showing this person all the positive that you can do for the organization. So if you know, um, doing, writing a report or suggesting something makes you a more trusted member, then do that. I learned very quickly um, that my methods were not right for this organization. You know, I'm a big, uh, I'm very transparent. I like to communicate everything that's going on in my department to the board of trustees. So when I presented to them, I presented all about all of our successes in my department. I presented, um, you know, graphics and benchmarks and I passed them out. And then I realized no one else does that. And so I got back into their little box because they wanted you to be in that little box. 
And I made sure that I was very brief in my report and that I did not have handouts and that I did not talk all about our accolades because that wasn't what they wanted to hear. That's how I kind of knew it wasn't the place for me. Like, Mm. what kind of place was this? So, but you have to do what makes you the trusted member of the organization Mm. so that they can depend on you and rely on you. Mm. Um, And then the third one is you can't always get what you want, but if you try, sometimes you might just get what you need. So you have to be tough. You have to have enough inner resources to know that you may never get the credit or the praise that you deserve from this type of person. And that this person may even take credit for all of your hard work. You have to be okay with that if you want to stay in this position. I know for myself, I couldn't underestimate the power of positive reinforcement and praise and what it had on me. But if you're going to stay, you need to have the inner resources to be okay with that. And the other thing I like to tell people is that if possible, if you can see this person less, so if you're allowed to work from home, if you're allowed to take meetings over the phone, or if you can just see them a little less during your day, it will make them more tolerable to you. Mm. Mm. I think it's a very, very <clears throat> wise set of advice. Thank you. Very wise. It's, it's really rooted in, in experience, in, in personal experience. It, it's, it's really, I thank you and I commend you for having done all this research Sharing, sharing it with our audience, sharing it with the world, having that book with a perfect title that really showcase the problem and the solution. It's like, okay, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. It's I so appreciate. important. Very, very grateful. Yes. I know it's a longer episode than usual, but it's so worth it. I mean, <laughs> we need all of it. We need all of it. Yeah. Well, I hope it serves as a guidebook. I think it will. People, you know, for people mm. going through this. I really do. Mm. Definitely. And again, thank you for having showed up. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Absolutely. over fire of life. yes yes absolutely well i would love for your audience to follow me on social media so that they can uh see more of this i i post frequently i'm on instagram at lynn catalano speaks and on tiktok at lynn catalano speaks on twitter you have to put speaks behind okay got it Yes, Amazing. and on Facebook and LinkedIn, I'm all over the place. So okay, and, and, and making sure to check the description of this episode because all the contact information are there. Perfect. Everything. Thank you. Including Thank you. the book, of course. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Lynn. Have a great day. You too. Thank you.